no matter what you do in life, selling is a core skill. Like, I don't look at it as money in this case. It's like, you need to sell your ideas. You need to sell yourself. You need to get a job. You need to sell yourself. You need to get into a relationship. You need to sell yourself. You want to marry someone. You need to sell yourself. You know, there's a lot of things you need to sell when you're doing anything. And it's either an idea. It's persuading people to listen to you. It's giving them a reason to care about what you're saying and what you're doing or follow you or whatever it is. So I do think it's a core skill. Now, not everyone's good at it. And you can certainly get by in life without it. But I think that you have to do it. That's why I think it's core. So you can be bad at it, but you still have to do it. You can't say, well, I don't sell. Like, yes, you do. Anything you, you do. Um, and I think the better you are at it, the more opportunities you're going to find in life. So that's why I think it's important. Welcome to Rework, a show by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Sean Hildner. Today, we're bringing you a conversation I had recently with Basecamp CEO Jason Fried about the importance of learning to sell. So back in 2012, he was giving a talk at Techstars Chicago. It's like a tech incubator. They take a handful of startups and run them through a three-month accelerator program. That year, they had kicked off the program with a contest to see which company could sell the most bottles of water in a day. Jason thought this was an interesting experiment and has written about it a couple times on Signal vs. Noise, our company blog. So we start the conversation there, but go into negotiating, startup culture, and selling knives. So here's my talk with Jason with a little background information from Troy Hennikoff, who used to run Techstars Chicago. I don't remember if it was after my talk or before my talk, but when I went to give a talk at Techstars in Chicago in 2012, um, I noticed that there was a board, and there were all the different company names uh, of the Techstars class on the board with numbers after them. And it said, like, water bottle challenge or something like that, sales ch- I don't remember what it was exactly, but I saw this board, and I asked Troy Hennikoff, who is the guy running Techstars, like, what is this? I'm Troy Hennikoff. Uh, I spent the last seven years running Techstars here in Chicago. Um, I also run a venture fund, Math Venture Partners, and uh, teach entrepreneurship at Kellogg School at Northwestern. One of my deeply held beliefs is that there's nothing more important than sales. And customer acquisition is much harder than entrepreneurs give credit for. I see smart entrepreneurs who know their industry all the time coming to me and saying, hey, I deeply understand the problem. I've created this amazing product solution. I have a company. And the reality is what they have is a product. Until you have customers, you don't have a company. And they tend to undervalue the sales side. Oh, anybody can do that. What's really hard is creating a product. And so what we did was we kind of led them along. So in the morning, we did a couple of quick exercises talking about how you're going to have to make low data decisions as an entrepreneur all the time. So let's practice. So how many bottles of water do you think are consumed in Chicago every day? And everybody came up and they did a quick, they had like 30 seconds to come up with an answer and, you know, they threw out their answers and we told them what we thought the right answer was from research. And, and, you know, how hard do you think it would be to sell water? And we, we got them, we led them along the way. And then what we ended up doing was saying, okay, here's the deal. You guys think it's going to be easy to sell water. You know, tens of millions of bottles of water are sold in Chicago every single day. You're going to have a day. We're going to spin up a virtual company. Your product is going to be water, something that we know tens of millions of bottles of water, tens of millions of are sold a day. And we're going to see if you can, how you can do. So here are the rules. You have 15 minutes to decide how much inventory you want. We gave them a price. We charged them, I don't know, whatever our cost was, like 12 cents for a bottle of water. We bought them in bulk. 
Um, and you know, so your cost is going to be 12 cents a bottle of water. You have to pay for your labor at $10 an hour and you can't turn labor on and off. So it's a day long project. So for each person, we're going to charge you 80 bucks and you tell us how many bottles of water you want. And your job is to sell them by five o'clock today. So there were two important things to us. One was to emphasize how important and how difficult uh, customer acquisition is. But also it gave us the opportunity to watch the entrepreneurs in action the very first day. And I feel like I learned more about them and then subsequently how to coach and manage them um, going forward in that day than I typically did in the first three weeks, four weeks, month of the program. Because we could see who had a bias towards action, who just, you know, ready, fire, aim, who actually erred on the other side and did too much navel gazing and trying to figure out the best strategy and, you know, didn't come up with a strategy until 4 p.m. and then only had an hour left to execute on it. So we got such insight into the entrepreneurs, watching them work for this short period of time in a very high pressure, low data situation, which is, by the way, what you do as an entrepreneur when you're doing a startup. It's a high pressure, low data situation. You think you've got a great product. How do you get it out there? How do you change? Your cash is running out. What do you do? Hopefully you have more than six hours. But um, it was fascinating. So Jason didn't know a lot of that background, but he also found the results very interesting. I found it fascinating because in business school, I've spoken to a lot of them. I've talked to a lot of students. I've talked to a lot of professors. Sales, like basic sales, is almost never taught or never really even considered. It's like people learn how to read balance sheets, income statements, P&L stuff. Write business plans. Raising money, writing business plans, doing sample decks, pitching, like all that stuff. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But they don't just go outside and sell. And they gotta, you got to learn how to sell. If you're going to be in business, you got to learn how to sell. And so I love that Techstars was doing this, and the results were fascinating to me. Where a lot of people bought too much inventory. They were overconfident, and they lost big. Some of them lost, like, big amounts of money. A small fraction basically ended up coming out ahead. And I thought that was very interesting because there's a lot of confidence in, in, in entrepreneurs. There's a lot of... Um, you know, we're going to disrupt this industry and disrupt that industry, yet, like, you can't even sell water. And that's not to denigrate people who tried, because it's hard to do, I'm, I'm sure. But it was just such a great exercise, and I thought it was really cool that they were doing that. And I thought that that was just a really, really smart thing to do. Yeah, I mean, do you want to see Yeah, the let's take a look at the chart. Okay, so here, here we're looking at this right now. Okay, so the bottom two purchased 2000 and lost the most. The third, uh, I don't know what you would call it, biggest loser or whatever. The sure. <laughs> third from the bottom bought almost 4,000 bottles, you know? So like, and as you go further up now, there's a few people who lost money who only bought 200 and 300. But the thing is that you see the top four companies that actually made money were all under 500 bottles. And some of them, you know, 120 or 110, 400, 250, they were small. They sold, the top three of the four sold out entirely. It's just like, it's, to me, this, this, this is everything. It's like, you have the bottom here, which is like, overconfident, I'm going to change the world, I know better than everyone else, like I'm going to go big or go home kind of thing. And guess what? They actually went home. Um, and the top four kind of went small and they stayed out. They stayed out there, which is which is awesome and, and they're profitable. So now, of course, like, look, this example could have been run again five minutes later and different results, but it is what it is. And I'm looking at it right here. And uh, I, I like the signs that I see in the top four and the bottom uh, six are 
like looking at them, it's pretty obvious what happened. Overconfidence, and I don't even know what the prices they they, they charged were. I could probably do the math, but it just didn't work. And most of them didn't work. Forty percent worked, sixty percent didn't. It's interesting uh, to me that you could consider two of the uh, the biggest failures as the top sellers. They definitely sold the most amount of water, right. but still came out at a loss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that's a great point. Yeah, so so you'd think like, well, sales is all that matters, and revenue is all that matters, and 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 units. Pushed in market yeah, they shifted share, the most product. market share, right? They actually had the most market share individually. Well, they still, you know, lost their ass technically here. And so I think there's just so many lessons in this chart. To me, like the top four basically were testing the market. They didn't think they knew the market yet; they were testing it. So we'll get we'll get a hundred, we'll get four hundred, we'll get two fifty. We'll see what happens. Hey, we sold out. We know something now, and we made money at it. The bottom six were like. No, we, we can, we'll nail this. Let's just get as many as we possibly can because we're going to go through all of these. We know everyone who's going to buy the stuff. We know it. You know. So overconfidence versus let's just test it and, and, and wade into it and see what happens and see what we can learn. And by the way, not only like, did we learn something, but we made money, which is, which is great. We didn't go out of business. Right, you know? yeah. right. Yeah, so it's like, like we don't need to rush this stuff. And that, that's what I like about the top four. There's no rushing here. The, the bottom felt like they're... They were just all in. They had to grab it all right away. Like this is their only shot to sell water. Yeah, forever, right? Instead of like, this is this is a, an experiment. Um, this is not. I'm not in the water selling business, so it doesn't really matter. Let me just like see what this is about. And and uh, um, anyway, it's it's really cool. I think it's a great exercise. Actually, this might be my sort of bias, at we, which I think we share on the startup community. But <sighs> is that mentality the same as, as buying? 2,000 bottles of water is the same as we need to make it a big enough splash now that we can be acquired next week. Probably. There's, there's, a, there's a sense of – like the word you always hear is scaling, right? We got to scale. And you're just like, well, why do you have to scale? Like what is the, what, what is the scale? Well, we have, to, we have to get big fast. Like, well, well, why? Why do you have to get big fast? Well, we have a lot of competitors or whatever. Well, they're trying to get big fast too. Like, so now it's just like a, a matter of who's going to get the biggest, the fastest. Is that – is that it? Because there's only going to be one winner there and a lot of losers versus, you know, um, can we just build a profitable business that we can decide um, what, we, you know, what we do with it as we move on? Um, we don't need to rush or, or race anybody necessarily. There's, a, there's this feeling that like every industry is zero sum, winner take all, and very few are. Very, very few really are. So, if, for example, in our business, there's probably 100 products that could directly compete with Basecamp. And we could all have good businesses, you know? But if you go into it thinking that you're, it's like this imperialistic feeling that I have to dominate, I have to take over as much territory as I possibly can and and run the world, then you're setting yourself up for, I think, a lot of stress and also um, a basically impossible goal that you don't need to set for yourself. Um, And I think that's what happens in a lot of startups. They get too big too fast. And also then they they take on, like they create problems for themselves. So they hire a bunch of people, they grow really fast. Now they have to make a lot of money in order to like keep that going. And so now they have to sell stuff they don't want to or growth hack or like all these things they have to do to support their own weight versus having less weight to begin with. And then you can just like get really simple and basic and, and straightforward about what you're doing, which is just trying to sell a good product and make a good product and just like leave it at that versus trying to hack your way to profitability. Something you told me a long time ago is that you had a similar uh, challenge given to you in college. Do you remember this conversation? Like, yeah, you were asked. Uh, 
just go sell something. Yeah, it wasn't that. It was actually slightly different. But I had, I had a class uh, in college, this negotiation class. We were assigned. I'm trying to remember. This is embarrassingly like 20 years ago. <laughs> Whatever it is. I can cut that part. Yeah. <laughs> we were, I think, assigned a product uh, to go negotiate a, a lower price than retail for. And all of the products were things that you would never normally negotiate, like haircuts or like a shirt at Nordstrom's or um, shoes at, at Foot Locker or something like that, right? I, I think I got a shirt at Nordstrom's. And it seemed like an impossible task. Like, no, you, of course you cannot walk into a business and like negotiate a better deal for like a commodity product that no one else is negotiating for. But it turns out, I think almost everybody in the class was able to do it. Um, and some of them were easier. Services turned out to be easier, like a haircut. Like, hey, it's 20 bucks. Like, I only have 18 in my pocket. Is that cool? I'm a college student. They're like, yeah, that's fine. Like, that was an easy one. But at Nordstrom's, um, what I did was actually, uh, it was cash. So I just, I figured out that, like, if I emptied my pockets and showed that I was really close with cash, they would take pity on me, essentially, and just be like, okay, fine. I don't remember what it was. I think I probably had three three twenties, and the shirt was like 75 bucks or something, and I had 60 bucks. And I think I don't remember exactly the details, but I remember it was like, I have an event, like I've got a wedding I have to go to. I didn't pa- – I've never been to something like this. I, have, I, I didn't know how to pack. Like I've got 60 bucks. Like what can we do? Now, what was interesting was um, the woman who was helping me did not show me to a cheaper item, which she could have. She could have been like, well, here's a $45 shirt. It was more like I'm running late. Like I, I, I I'm, I'm really, I, I'm just, I'm kind of screwed here. Can you help me out? And and she did. So she sold me the shirt for sixty bucks. Now I don't know if she took an employee discount to make that. I don't know how she actually made that work, but it was a cool experience. Now it was weird because like it was deceitful. Like I was lying, um, but the, the, I think most people were because uh, they were told they had to negotiate. But it was a really worthwhile experience, and it it wasn't about how much you could save. It was just about like. You can poke the world in ways that you didn't think you could. And that was a formative experience for me where I realized, wow, like I didn't realize that, like I thought there were rules. Now, there are rules, but um, rules can be bent. Sometimes they can be broken, but oftentimes they can be bent a little bit where no one really gets in trouble and you can kind of push things a little bit and poke it a bit. And that was a really cool experience. So that was probably my favorite class in college. I forget the guy's name. He ended up leaving the next year and going to teach at University of Illinois. But... In college, that was the best one because it was very real. And I love stuff. And that's why I like this water project, which is this water selling thing, which is that, hey, go sell some water on the street. Bye. Go do it. You know, that's where you learn things. Does, does that come naturally to you? What? That, that sort of mentality of going to negotiate a price, uh, basically breaking the rules. Uh, or I think back to this example, um, selling. I think for me, selling doesn't come naturally. Certainly negotiating doesn't. I really like structures and rules. Yeah. So when I have to do that kind of thing, I, I'm playing a new character. Right. You know, I'm, this is haggle, Sean. You get sweaty and it's like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sales comes naturally to me. I don't like to negotiate things that I know. Well, what I found was that everything's negotiable, but I would never negotiate a shirt, a suit, a dinner. Like I wouldn't ever do any of that. Um, I don't like to look for bargains. I don't like to look for deals. I've never never been that way. Um, I basically feel like if there's a price tag on it, that's what it costs, and that's what I should pay. Now, there's a difference. Like, like you buy a house or you buy a car, and there's like it's known that there's going to be some negotiation there. So I enjoy 
I enjoy that. And I'm like, I'm really big into vintage watches. And one of the reasons why is because like the market is just all over the place and you can negotiate and haggle and have some fun with that. Yeah. Collector's markets are weird. Collector's markets are super weird because it's just esoteric, weird stuff. Like in the, in the vintage watch world and vintage Rolex specifically, a one millimeter line underlined piece of text can like Increase the value of a very rare watch by like twenty or thirty thousand dollars. A millimeter line. It's like it's like, it's like with with action figures, like the original box. If there's a dent in the box, it like drops value in half. Like all, it's just it's really interesting to me. Um, so I kind of love that world, but but I don't really like the haggling process. Really, what what I've actually realized is that I'm not really good at it in person at all. Like if I went to some like you know bazaar in, in Morocco or something, I would just like guys like you know fifty bucks. I'd be like. Uh, 40 and and but I could have probably said 20 you know so I I'll, I'll, I'll haggle a tiny bit but I won't go back and forth in in person um and I've noticed that when I when I like when I go buy a car or something now I'll always do it via email because when you're sitting in a in a in a car dealer's office or whatever like they have the upper hand you're there um you like the car you're fired up um you know, they've got the, the pictures of the cars behind them. It's all set up to be put them at a huge advantage, right? Because otherwise you're going to have to leave and go home in your old car, right? Um, so, so, so now I do this all via email. And I'll only buy stuff from people who will be willing to do, deal with me via email because I can, like, set a price and be like, look, I'm willing to pay eighteen five for this thing. Um, like, that, that's it. And they'll be like, nineteen eight. I'm like, eighteen five is it. And I wouldn't say that in person but I would say via email. So I found that like the medium actually helps me negotiate a bit. But sales, sales is something I've always been good at, I think, and I've always enjoyed because I don't look at it as like I'm trying to get rid of something. I actually look at it as I'm trying to help you with something that you that you want or could better you. I've always looked at it that way, and it's, it's always helped me. Were you selling dumb stuff as a kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of dumb stuff. You don't stuff. have to say anything that's going to put you in jail. Uh, no, but... statute of limitations is far past, Fair I think. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I would sell um, – I forget what I first started selling, but, like, I would sell stuff to friends that I liked. So I was – somehow I got into, like, knives and weapons and, like – I mean, weapons being, like, a throwing star, like, Chinese sure. throwing star. Like, like kind of – like, stuff that some boys are really into, like, that kind of stuff. Somehow I, I found a – like, I got something sent to our house. Maybe my dad did, and I picked it up. Like, it was called Sportsman's Guide, which was a, a catalog. Maybe they're still around, like a mail catalog. And it had like, you know, tents and, you know, it was like a, a outdoorsman thing. But it also had like knives and um, I think mostly like pocket knives at the time. And I just thought they were so cool. I don't know why. They're yes, just, they're they, knives. They still are cool, right? Absolutely. Right. So cool. So I'm like, you know, 12 or 13 or I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And so um, I, had a, I had a job when I was 13. So I had, I had some money, a little bit of money. I mean, it's a part-time job, six, five bucks an hour. I don't know what it was. And I wanted to get one of these knives, but I didn't have a credit card. Um, cause I was 13 <laughs> and my parents would never buy me a knife. Right. So, um, I, I, I found out that this was back in the day. This is like in the, let's see, this is back in the eighties at some point. UPS would deliver something COD. Yep. I don't know if they still do that. I remember that. They still do that? Uh, I'm Probably not sure. Not. Cash and delivery. Yeah. Which basically meant that it's amazing. Like the UPS guy would come to your house and he'd be like, I need $64 and 23 cents worth of cash to give you this box. Um, and so I'd saved up some money. I'd called in sick the day I knew. I told my parents I was sick the day I, kn- I knew this was coming. And um, the UPS guy would come. My parents would be at work. The UPS guy would come, and I would, I would give him cash and I'd get this knife. And I would show my friends. They're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. 
And I'm like, yeah, it is pretty cool, isn't it? Like, where'd you get it? I'm like, well, I, I got it. And like, can you get me one? I'm like, sure. So I like, I start taking orders. And then I would like gang up a bunch of orders and then stay home, you know, one day, three months from now and get like nine knives. And they would pay me up front. Like, and I would start to do this and it was super fun. So I would make a little bit of money off my friends. And then I, 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 um, I would uh, sell other things. I sold like... Like a friend of mine, my friend Brett, his brother was was 19, so he could buy his cigarettes and chewing tobacco, like Skull Bandits. Mm. Remember? Yeah, it was really important to get that uh, still fade this, you? in your jeans. Yeah, oh, yeah, the, the, the circle fade, right. I do remember I that. I feel like that's now been replaced by that cell, cell phone, phone fade. Now it's a rectangle. Right. The circle's cooler. So I, I would like – we'd give him some money. He'd go bu- go to the gas station, buy a bunch of stuff, and then I'd like take it and mark it up and sell it to my friends and distribute it. I'd go ride a bike around and like sell it to my friends for twice as much. Um, and so I'd always been into that. And it wasn't like – I did. I never cared about the money. But the money was the measurement of like did I do it or not. That was all it was. It, it, it didn't really matter. Like I, had, I always had jobs. I had like day jobs, <laughs> part-time day jobs. And that's where, that's where like I would make money to go buy things that I wanted. But the, the other stuff was just fun. Um, now, in that case, of course, I wasn't like out to help anybody. <laughs> Get them hooked on cigarettes. But like as I got older and I sold shoes and I sold other things, I would, I would be more about like – really trying to help the customer like do something they couldn't do, help them make progress with things. So that was always fun. I, I've always enjoyed that. I, I think it's interesting that your friends went to, can you get that for me instead of teach a man to fish? Yeah, most people don't want to learn how to fish. That's fair. <laughs> they just want, oh, I want that. I see that. I want that. Can you get that for me? Sure, I can get that for you. It's, uh, you know, 65 bucks. And in my head, I'm thinking like it's going to cost me 25 or 35 or whatever. You immediately went to, you were immediately going to mark them up. Immediately. Yeah. I don't know where that instinct came from, but it's kind of like... It's probably... You're just a really good friend, Jason. <laughs> exactly. It's a terrible friend. It's like more like there's risk involved. I have to stay home. I can get caught. Um, I, have to, I have to do the work. So like, yeah, maybe I'll make 20... I don't... Whatever. I don't remember what the numbers were, but it's like maybe I'll make 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks on something. Um, like I'm entitled to that. I'm doing the work. Why not? So that's how, that's how I was. And... I felt like I was doing them a service, though. Like, I felt like I was doing something for them they couldn't do on their own. And then at some point down the road, um, I remember making catalogs for myself. So I would, I would go to – I'd get the sportsman's guide thing. And there's some, then I learned that once I got that, like, and I placed more orders, they would, like, other people would send me mailings from other companies because they would sell their list. And I would get all these, like, crazy, weird, like, military, like, army surplus catalogs and stuff, right? So then I would, I would cut them out and I would um, – make my own catalog like an, on a Xerox machine. I'd like make my own <laughs> thing and hand them out to friends and stuff. And then I'd like write in the prices. And then I'd like take orders and I'd like deliver some stuff to my friends. So it was super fun. It was like, it was just fun. I mean, I got in trouble a few times, but whatever. It was good. It was a good time. That's awesome. Yeah. That's it's awesome. good lessons for sure. And now, by the way, you can do this like on eBay. Something I suggest people do who like have never sold anything is like, go buy a commodity item anywhere. Go buy... It used to be iPods, but not anymore. So, like, any, like, you know, go buy a, an iPhone even or whatever, right? Fixed price. We know what they cost. Or go buy used, whatever it is. And buy a few of them and put them up on eBay or Craigslist and design the ads differently. Write the ads differently. Take better pictures. Take worse pictures, you know. Um, or timing. Like, playing around with timing. When's the, like, when's the auction going to end? Is it a buy it now versus an auction? Is it a long auction, short auction? Like, you know. Free shipping, not, like you can play with all these things and just kind of practice and see what are the things that seem to move people, seem to drive people, and see if you can sell an item that is basically a commodity item at a higher price based on the description and the ability of your salesmanship. To, to, that's a great way to practice. And you might be able to make some money off it, perhaps. But even if you just keep breaking even, it's a great way to practice. I also think that 
getting a retail job is like one of the best educations you can ever get. So like go even even if you're a professional already and you you don't need any money, like go work at a coffee shop or something two nights a week for three months or whatever, just to like deal with the public, see what moves people, see what like you'll be surprised by the contemplation people make on even low priced items like six bucks. Like for example, I'll, I'll, when I used to sell um, tennis rackets at this company at this place I used to work. Um, people would buy string, and there's different kinds of string for tennis rackets. There's like natural string, which is actually gut. Like I think it's like cat, cat gut, gut right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's synthetic gut, and there's other nylon and stuff like that. And like the price differences were pretty minor. It was like three bucks or five bucks or something. And you'd see someone like really think for ten minutes, like, like, do I get the better stuff? It's five bucks more. Like, do I really? And I could tell like by by who they were that they didn't need the five bucks, but they're still thinking it through. And it was just interesting to hear them talk to themselves and understand why. And you ask like, what 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 do you you know what, what what's on your mind? Why you know? And and like, wow, well, I just I feel like is this is this, is this fake? Like, what, I don't like I, is this really better? And like, you just start to see that, and you start to realize that. Um, it's all psychology, and it's people playing tricks with their, with their own with themselves, and not really understanding why they want something, or, or their real reason for wanting something, or what they're going to get out of it. And and as a salesperson, you can help them see their path forward, and then it makes it easier for them. So I just think it's a great exercise. Awesome. Great well, thank you for uh, for talking to me today. Jim. Yeah, this is fun, Sean. This is great. Yeah, we'll do it again soon. I love to. Cool. So around the time we were working on this episode, something happened in Washington, D.C. that made national news. This was all the way back in June. Three African-American teenage boys were selling bottled water on the National Mall, and police handcuffed them for selling without a permit. It got me thinking about the barriers to entrepreneurship that exist for many people in this country, especially if you're from a marginalized group. What we've been talking about on this episode, how it's important to practice sales as a core skill, is an opportunity that's often just not extended to black and brown people in America. And in some cases, the act of selling something can be dangerous or even deadly. Alton Sterling was shot by police in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in front of the convenience store where he sold CDs. Eric Garner was killed in New York City by police during a confrontation over selling loose cigarettes. So next time on Rework, we'll introduce you to an organization that works with low-income entrepreneurs, And we'll also hear from some Chicago street food vendors about how they run their business. That's coming up in two weeks. Rework is produced by Sean Hildner and me, Waylon Wong. Our theme song is Broken by Design by Clipart. Our website is rework.fm, where you'll find show notes and links for this and all of our episodes. For this episode, if you want to see a photo of the Techstars Water Challenge results board that we talked about, you can check out the show notes for that. Tell us what you think about the show. We're on Twitter at Rework Podcast. Email us at hello at rework.fm. And we certainly won't complain if you left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find our show. Finally, if you have any questions for Jason or David, leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850. We do a mailbag segment from time to time, so get those questions in. Okay, that's it. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. You happy? Yeah. Um, upon further research, yeah, cat gut tennis mm-hmm. racket strings have never been made of cat ever because violin strings were at one point. Were they? I think they. I think they were. Unless that's also just like an urban legend. I don't know. Wikipedia said it was like usually sheep or goat. Oh, okay. I don't know where the cat came from. I mean, it's still gut. Like yeah, yeah, but it's intestine. interesting how cat got into the mix.
Ja. 